Welcome to Psalm Springs, a podcast dedicated to an open and hopefully inspirational discussion of the biblical book of Psalms. We come to you each week with different aspects and different views of the ancient text and how those texts might inform our lives today. Welcome to this episode of Psalm Springs. While we are here at home, in all of our homes, in California and most of the states of the United States, in Israel and many places across the world, we're staying at home. We are uh, we're not socially distancing, we are physically distancing ourselves and hopefully even coming closer to each other socially as we find new ways and uh, new modes of communication. We have slowed down our lives, we're able to appreciate nature outside our windows and perhaps things that our family, our loved ones and friends have written to us or speak to us. We're less in a hurry. Therein lies the blessing. This very special time before Passover, before Easter, before a time of renewal and uh, rejuvenation in both the Christian and Jewish traditions. Psalm Springs, as you know, is an attempt to find meaning in the ancient words from 2,500, 3,000, maybe even more years ago in our days, our times, our lives today. And so I'm thinking this week of the quintessential psalm belonging to Passover observance, that is Psalm 114, Those of us that grew up going to a Seder, a Passover Seder, the evening meal of Passover, of Pesach, we remember singing in this, those of us that grew up in synagogues and still go to synagogues, we sing this psalm, the different melodies, not only on Passover, but all the pilgrimage holidays and Rosh Chodesh, the new moon. I'm going to read from Robert Alter's translation. After I read through the entire psalm, we'll go through the different sections that, to me, merit mention in this very special time. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a barbarous tongue folk. Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea saw and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains danced like rams, hills like lambs of the flock. What is wrong with you, sea, that you flee? Jordan, that you turn back. Mountains, that you dance like rams, hills, like lambs of the flock. Before the master, whirl, O earth, before the God of Jacob, who turns the rock to a pond of water, flint to a spring of water. Well, probably four different parts to that psalm. Different commentators break it down a little bit differently. But before the breakdown and the literary examination, Many of the modern biblical scholars ask themselves, well, when would this psalm have been said in real time? And while many have said, of course, it's in a Passover celebration, others have said that it's in a festival of renewal of the covenant, something that perhaps was Shavuot, perhaps something we don't have, perhaps Rosh Hashanah. And in that context, the entire story, the holy story of the people of Israel, the mythology, if you will, was spread out. 
And I think that, um, I think I, I prefer to see it that way. I don't know when this psalm was said or not, but I don't think it's a psalm just for the time of Passover. Um, even though many of us think of it, we're reminded of Passover when we hear those words, Betzeit Yisrael, Beit Yaakov, Yes, that's how the psalm starts. And many of the translations, in fact, most of the translations into English, I think, have Betzeit Yisrael, when Israel came out of Egypt. There's one exception to that, at least that I found, and that's a pope in the Anchor Bible series, uh, excuse me, Dahud, in the Anchor Bible series, Mitchell Dahud, who um, he kind of goes on quite a bit and wants to say it's not when the Israelites left Egypt, but after the Israelites left Egypt. He wants to somewhat, in that way, I think, divorce the psalm from the actual Passover ritual, from the thinking it in terms of just around Passover. Alter, though, makes a, a really good argument in, in using the word when. It's not just when Israel, but it's very rare, if not unique entirely, that we have a psalm that opens up this way when right away we're swept into it. Where When Israel came out of Egypt, it's like, you know what it's like when people today, after for many years now, um, especially younger people, people perhaps my age and younger, uh, they will say, so, I was so, everything starts with so. I was trying to figure that out when I first started to hear that. In the mid-aughts, I think I heard it. Of course, I was living in Israel most of my life, and, and this was a new usage of the word so. So usually referred to something that you were talking about already. And, um, and I tried to think, so what does that mean? So, what does that mean? And it felt to me that perhaps, at least, perhaps maybe just subconsciously, but the people using the word so, what I'd like to say, so the explanation is all the so's was to bring you into their conversation and maybe to let you know they're already having a very deep discussion with themselves about this or with others. We're bringing you into, we're not starting something new. And I think that's the, that's the way that uh, we might, um, in, in the footsteps of Alter here, understand when Israel came out of Egypt, we're just brought into it so like... They're coming out of Egypt, Egypt, and this is what's about to happen, and, and, and so on and so forth, with lots of so's in there. But let's take a look at, at, the, at the beautiful parallelism that we have here. We've spoken many times, it's not just the Psalms, but in general, biblical poetry and ancient Near Eastern poetry um, has this lovely feature of what is called parallelism. It's not always uh, the same thing, parallel exactly, it's a little bit different. Uh, there's different types of parallel. Sometimes it's the opposite and not, and, and it's not a synonym. But here it's synonyms. Uh, when Israel, which is A, came out of Egypt, which is B, and then we, in, what is inferred here is, the, is the, the, the word again, when the house of Jacob, which is parallel to Israel, A, came out of a barbarous-tongued folk, which is Egypt, all right, so we have A, B, A, B. When Judah became God's sanctuary, Judah being A, God's sanctuary being B, and Israel being A, God's dominion being B. And so um, it, the, the truth is, this is not just the when, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. It's when either the people of Judah, the people of Israel, 
perhaps referring to a time in between after Solomon's death and before the the conquest of Israel by the Assyrians, uh, that, that period of time of a few hundred years in which there was both Judah and Israel, uh, I have a feeling that they're used synonymously and that the person is thinking back from a later date, but that's just my feeling. And it, it continues in verse 3, the sea saw and fled, the Jordan turned back. The sea being A, saw and fled being B, Jordan being A, turned back being B. And then the mountains danced like rams. Mountains A, danced like rams, Bs. The hills danced like lambs of the flock, A and B again. So for the first four verses, it's just a set chain of different parallels in which the second line of each of those parallels is missing the verb. It's implied. It's a lovely, lovely poetic device that the psalmist is employing here. But what does it mean? What does it mean? Uh, well, we've got this. The idea is that the people of Israel are being brought out of Egypt. That is what makes them a nation. They're not really a nation before that. That's when they become, I would like to think it's about the people, verse 2, Judah and Israel, and less about the land. Uh, Dahud, in his commentary, feels that it's really the land, which this whole psalm is talking about the land uh, and, uh, and, and, and God's special relationship with the land. Um, but, but So we've got the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, in which what point they become at which point they become a nation. And Egypt, the parallel for Egypt is a barbarous tongued folk. We'll get back to that in a second. Me'am lo'ez. Me'am lo'ez, from the nation of lo'ez. We'll talk about that word in just a second. And then Judah becomes sanctuary, Israel, dominion. But then we have two other things, right? Two other, uh, which are not about people as much as the earth itself, creation, the sea, saw this happening and fled, and the Jordan turned back. Well, that seems to be pretty obviously a reference to, on one hand, the beginning of the 40 years in the desert as the children of Israel were leaving Egypt. That is the parting of the sea, the Reed Sea. And then at the end of the 40 years, what is spoken about in the beginning of Book of Joshua, which the people uh, were led from the plains of Moab after Moses' death by Joshua, and the waters of the Jordan piled up. You can imagine them walking across. It's on their right, right? Because uh, the, the north is on their right. And here they are as the, the water piles up. It's as if it's going backwards, right? And then you've got this business about the mountains dancing, the hills uh, rumbling. Uh, some people, especially the older the older recent modern commentators like to say, well, maybe this has to do with an earthquake. Uh, others say this has to do with with the, uh, the the revelation at Sinai, in which the you know the ground shook and everything. Uh, to my mind, it's just it, it's um, it is going from the the socio political of a people being freed from the dominion of another people from slavery. Uh, of the story that we have about the water, uh, as a as an en which envelopes the, the the forty years in the desert, and then this idea that it's not just the water but the mountains as well. The mountains were rejoicing, um, a term that we have from time to time in the Psalms when nature, whether it's mountains, rivers, the sea, whatever, participate in praising God. To my mind, that's what this is connected to.
And so let's, before we go on to the second part of the psalm, let's talk a little bit about uh, the second part of verse 1, the house of Jacob from a barbarous-tongued folk, as uh, Alter translates here. Um, very often the translation will be from a foreign nation, from a strange language. Uh, this word loez only appears here in the Hebrew Bible. And again, uh, Dahud, who, who often takes a, a unique view in his commentaries, uh, seems to think it has to do with the word oz and the lamed, in, for those that know Hebrew. And me'am loez, the lamed, he vocalizes differently in his reading, and it's called a, a, a lamed of, uh, of, of emphasis, emphatic lamed, uh, meaning to think that perhaps that the people were strong and cruel. Um, most translations go along with, or most commentaries go along with, the most ancient translation we have, which is the Septuagint, the Greek, and the Greek here has barbaros, which, of course, gave us the words barbaric. And, um, and it seems that uh, in the beginning, uh, barbaros, or let's just say it in English as it came from the Latin into English, um, barbarians it were all those who were not Greek, especially the, the Medeans and the Persians, uh, anything non-Greek. And of course, it was used by the Romans as well in, in, and in Latin, and, and they were referring to others, even though they themselves were actually non-Greeks, of course, yeah? But it became the other. And then it, I'm not, I don't think it, from what I could ascertain from the books that I have in my own library at home, I don't think it was a derogatory, uh, derog I don't think it was thought of in derogatory terms uh, in the beginning. I think perhaps that's something that it was, kind of grew as, 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 as xenophobia became more of a thing. Uh, people demeaned the other. Uh, but um, uh, interesting, the medieval uh, translation into Aramaic, not medieval, the, the late uh, uh, translation of late antiquity of, of the psalm into Aramaic has the same words, barbariae, bar, bar I think. And um, so it, it means another language. The rabbis in the, in the Midrash, in Talmud and other Midrashic works, uh, they emphasized that the children of Israel, the Israelites, were, were, were redeemed from, from Egypt uh, for different reasons. One of them was because they didn't change their names. Another one was because they continued to speak only their language. This is a proof text for that, right? They only spoke Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue. And uh, the medieval interpretations, Rashi, Radak, and Ibn Ezra, others on on the page here in on this verse, um, they have a lot of a lot of talk about that. Radak in particular seems to be fascinated. He says, "Well, how could that be? They were in Egypt for hundreds of years. How could they not speak that language?" And he says, "Well, maybe they were living in Goshen. Maybe not everybody spoke it. Uh, one way or another, we get the idea. The idea is that the people of Israel were taken out of uh, of Egypt of that land, and they were taken away from." A people who did not speak the same language that they did. In other words, they were foreigners there. After hundreds of years, they were still foreigners. They were enslaved. And I think that's why the psalmist uses this language. This word, for instance, because it is a, it is a, um, a singular word, a hapax, in Hebrew Bible, uh, some people have used this word to say this is a later psalm, as opposed to, uh, again, as opposed to Dahud, 
who uh, turns it into something much earlier, and, and therefore he, he 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 dates this psalm the very early date of the uh, uh, of the ninth uh, eighth century, tenth um, ninth eighth century before the Common Era. Be that as it may, we've got this situation where um, the people of Israel left the foreign land. The waters in the beginning of their journey parted. The waters parted at the end of their journey. The big waters, nature, God reversed the course of nature. And even the mountains danced in, some would say, fear. I would say perhaps they danced uh, out of joy. And then the psalmist does something strange. The psalmist turns to those, to those, uh, those bodies of creation. What is wrong with you, the sea? that you flee, Jordan that you turn back. It's going A, B, A, B in the regular parallelism. And, um, and the mountains that you dance like rams, the hills like, why, why you do, what's up with you guys? What, what, what's going on? And then the answer that the psalmist gives himself after asking that rhetorical question to the different parts of creation, before the master world or earth, before the God of Jacob, uh, in a big way, the earth, world, it's almost as if uh, they knew about the earth turning around, right? Uh, um, but but the earth, you know, it, the entire body of creation, in a, in a very macro sense, does what God, the master, commands. And adding and reminding us that of the special relationship before the God of Jacob in verse 7. And then comes something really nice, the way that the psalm ends in verse 8, that is from the macro, it goes down to the micro, to the micro. And that is having to do with water. We started with water, water that um, are the boundaries of the people of Israel in the 40 years in the desert. And then it ends with Perhaps a reference to the stories, in the two stories in the Torah and the wilderness stories about uh, Moses bringing the water out of the rock, probably. But even without that, this idea that and it comes down to the drinking of water. And, and here there's a step up, right? The beginning of verse 8 says, who turns the rock to a pond of water, right? Rock, just regular rock turns into a pond of water. A pond of water is a limited amount of water. A rock is, compared to what's coming next, is a relatively soft rock. And then it goes on, the second part, flint, which is a particularly strong rock, is turned into a spring of water. Not just a pond of water, but water which replenishes itself all the time. To show that the miracles are on a great scale, earth-shattering scale, and they're on a smaller scale for the people, the simple person to drink as well. That's at least how I choose to see that. In this particular year, in this particular week of preparation before Passover. And I think the reason for that is, is that we are, we're oscillating, all of us at home, between our personal needs of being alone, of what we need to get from medical, from food, from our financial worries, all the things that we're thinking about ourselves and yet understanding that this is so much bigger than us, what's going on right now. This is not just uh, statewide, citywide, nationwide. It's worldwide. It's global. It is global. And the amounts of uh, people who are sick and will be sick and deaths and people who will die is, is just can be overwhelming. And yet there's back to the 
singular, the individual person as well, we have our needs. And so it's important, I think, to 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 make sure that we're not uh, we're not overemphasizing one of those aspects. If we're only watching the news and and taking in the statistics from around the world and all the different political and financial implications, uh, then we may forget about ourselves as well. And on the other hand, if we're only talking about ourselves, nobody really wants to be in communication with us. Uh, that won't work as uh, either, and it needs to be a balance of the two. But in the same way that a neighbor can bring you food and medicine, or you can do that to your neighbor, or send you a message and cause you to smile at a wonderful picture of a new baby or whatever it might be, those are the little things. Well, so too, we believe, I believe, that God can provide for the big things, for people, all those people coming through together in the great hive mind of modern society, of contemporary society, to solve the challenges, the medical challenges, the the production of what needs to be not only how what, how the what the cure will look like the different uh, tests that we need but also how that will get out to everybody and how to be protected all the equipment that needs to be produced at a short notice with all the criticisms we might have about the systems that were in place that weren't really working well none of that matters right now of course we need to learn for the future but how do we come together in this effort to to rock the mountains, to split the sea, to cause the Jordan to stand up and reverse its course. Because that's what we need to do. And I, of course, many of you know me for a long time, I am not waiting for the miracle to come from God uh, while we human beings just kind of sit passively aside. We all have a part to play. We all have some part to play in the big picture and in the little picture. So with these words, I, I wish you another good week of, uh, of uh, staying uh, sheltered at home as much as possible, uh, of being careful as much as possible, but also of reaching out to create those miracles. So we go back and forth between those two axes of the big picture and the little picture. And we will hope that this week will bring us some good news from all different parts of our lives, all different parts of the world. Talk to you next week. Psalm Springs is a production of Or Hamid Bar, Light of the Desert, an organization dedicated to intellectual, spiritual, and social engagement with the Jewish tradition. We're based in Palm Springs, California, and we'd like to give thanks to Madalena Garza for editing and everything else tech-like in this production. Please check us out at www.orhamidbar.org for more information. And if you'd like to sponsor a Psalm Springs episode, you can do so by going to our website. If you like what you've heard, please express it on iTunes, Apple, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.